I walked about a mile from home to go mushroom hunting in a usual area. Walked through a field of goldenrod as high as my shoulders, and was about to enter the woods when I felt something strange. I felt like I needed to go or I wouldn't get out of there alive. I didn't hear or see anything, but I had got goosebumps and I felt anxious when everything was fine before I reached that spot. I stood there debating and decided to go hunt somewhere else. I've gone back many times and haven't experienced that again. I live in an area that have bears, wolves, coyotes and bobcats. I've never had any problems with them on walks or hikes in the woods, but maybe that day would have been different, or maybe there was a bad person in there. I've learned to trust this feeling I get. It saved me many times, and when I ignored it, I got hurt. Whatever was in there, I did the right thing in not going in. My name is John, and I'm part of a National Guard unit assigned to protect the small town of Smallville, situated near a dense forest. The town had become the epicenter of a series of brutal attacks, and it was our job to protect the residents and track down the perpetrator. As we investigated the crime scenes, we found evidence of an unknown cryptid, which we suspected to be the legendary Dogman. To aid in our search, we enlisted the help of a renowned cryptozoologist who had dedicated his life to studying these elusive creatures. Together, we delved deep into the surrounding woods, determined to confront the creature and put an end to the carnage. As we got closer to the truth, we uncovered a long-buried secret about the government's involvement in the creation and cover-up of these creatures. It was a chilling revelation that made us question everything we thought we knew about the world around us. One night, while we were searching for the creature, we heard blood-curdling screams echoing from the small town. Rushing back, our hearts pounded in our chests as we realized the horrifying truth. The entire town was gone, and all its inhabitants had been mercilessly killed. We were devastated and felt an overwhelming sense of guilt, knowing that we had failed to protect the people we had been assigned to safeguard. But before we could even begin to process what had happened, government officials arrived at the scene. They quickly quarantined the area and ordered us to return home offering no explanation or consolation. We left Smallville with heavy hearts, haunted by the loss of an entire community and the knowledge that we had been so close to uncovering the truth about the Dogmen. The government had successfully silenced us and covered up their dark secrets, but the memory of Smallville and its people would remain with us forever. It all began when the whisper of chainsaws echoed through the sacred lands of my people, the Comanche tribe. I'm Alawa, which means P in our language, a reminder of how small we are in the grand scheme of things. Little did I know, the grand scheme had a cruel twist in store for us. Our ancestral lands, once lush with ancient trees and teeming with life, were being violated by a ruthless logging company. Every fallen tree seemed to resonate with a piercing cry, reverberating through the air, through my heart. And then we noticed it the increase in sightings of a malicious skinwalker. The skinwalker, a creature of Navajo legend, was known to shape-shift and bring harm. It was an entity of pure malevolence, a perversion of nature. 
It began to terrorize the loggers who were far from their comfort zones and their high-rise offices. The assaults from the creature were so relentless, so terrifying, that the company halted its operations. Our tribe was relieved, at least initially. But then, the attacks escalated. It started with livestock. Sheep and cows mutilated, their carcasses left as a gruesome warning. Then our people started disappearing. Our tribe, once vibrant and strong, was being decimated. Fear clung to us like a shroud. Elders prayed, warriors stood guard, children cried, but nothing stopped the skinwalker. One by one my people fell, their lives snuffed out by this ancient terror, until I was the only one left. The skinwalker had taken everyone, my family, my friends, the old, the young. I was alone, the last of my tribe, left to bear witness to our tragic end. The government arrived in the aftermath. Men in suits and uniforms swarmed our lands, their faces grim. They quarantined the area, erected barriers, and shrouded our tragedy under the guise of a disease outbreak. They found me grief-stricken and lost, and they told me to be silent. To hide the truth of the Skinwalker, the reality of our ancestral lands, and the massacre of my people. The world continued on, oblivious to our fate, ignorant of the truth. I became a Lawa, the lone survivor of the Comanche tribe, the guardian of a tragic secret, a living testament to a tale too horrific to be believed. But I remember, I remember it all. I had just finished a long walk through the forest. The smell of decomposing leaves filled the air, but suddenly I caught a whiff of something far more pungent. It was like a rotting animal carcass. As the smell intensified, I couldn't shake off the feeling that I was being watched. As I walked down our dirt driveway, I heard a deep snort like a huffing noise. It reminded me of the sound a horse makes when it wants your attention. Intrigued, I looked around and saw a large male Bigfoot standing there, staring right at me. I was both fascinated and terrified at the same time. With my heart pounding, I took a cautious step, and to my amazement, the Bigfoot mirrored my movement. This continued for about five minutes, with the creature copying my every action. Feeling a mix of excitement and fear, I decided to run back to my house to grab a camera. As I fumbled to find my camera, I thought about the park ranger, who had been a friend and confidant for years. He had shared numerous stories about unusual sightings and unexplained phenomena in the forest. I couldn't wait to tell him about my encounter and show him the evidence. But when I finally stepped outside, camera in hand, the Bigfoot was gone. Disappointed but still eager to share my story, I went to the ranger station and relayed my experience to him. The park ranger listened intently, his eyes widening with each detail I shared. He told me that there had been other reports of similar encounters in the area, and my story only added to the growing mystery. Together, we went back to the spot where I had seen the Bigfoot, but there was no trace of the creature. The park ranger promised to keep an eye out for any future sightings and urged me to do the same. From that day on, every time I ventured into the forest, I couldn't help but hope for another chance encounter with the elusive Bigfoot.
It was the end of August, a perfect time for a vacation, and I, Donald, had decided to indulge my hobby of prospecting for gold. So there I was on the Chetco River, about 18 miles northeast of Brookings, hoping to strike it rich. And guess what? I found a vein. But that's not the story I want to tell you. What happened next was far more exciting and much more terrifying. After a day of exploring the area, driving the dirt roads in my trusty old jeep, I had decided to take a break. I parked the jeep by the road to let the engine cool, the very dry and steep slope line with thick brush just a few feet away. Visibility into the undergrowth was no more than 15 feet, but it was peaceful, serene. Then, without warning, the tranquility was shattered. Something charged at me through the brush. I couldn't see what it was, but I could hear it, a rustling sound that grew louder and closer. Then, just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. Whatever it was, it was lurking in the brush, about 35 feet away. I could hear it moving, but I couldn't see it. My heart was pounding in my chest, and I felt a cold rush of adrenaline. Thoughts raced through my mind. Was it a bear? An elk? Or something else? I couldn't shake off the feeling of dread. I needed to protect myself. I rushed to the trunk of my jeep and pulled out my magnum gun. I'm ready for you, I muttered, trying to sound braver than I felt. But nothing happened. Whatever it was, it didn't come any closer. The confrontation, if you can call it that, lasted about three to four minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Shaken by the experience, I decided to consult a local park ranger. A friend had introduced me to Ranger Ben, a grizzled veteran who knew the area like the back of his hand. We discussed the possibility of another animal bear, elk, or even a cougar. But Ben wasn't so sure. You know, he said, leaning back in his chair, there are stories around these parts. Stories about a creature living deep in the woods. Some call it Bigfoot. I scoffed at the idea, but deep down, the unease lingered. Was it possible? Had I had a confrontation with Bigfoot? I guess I'll never know. But one thing's for sure, that vacation was one I'll never forget. This incident happened back in 1995 when I was 15 years old. It was very horrible. I witnessed two guys that may have been like government agents or some other secretive governmental agents. They kidnapped my dad and left someone in his place that looked just like him. I later found out that the person left behind was a reptilian cloaked as a human. This person became rather rude to me as time went on. However, he talked with me and he could even heal with his bare hands. He told me that we humans were looked down upon as sheep, etc., and he knew I had witnessed the two agents kidnapping my dad, and he said I was next. I became very scared. He had me taken to a place against my will and met with what looked like a special forces group who forced me to sign paperwork against my will, and the guy who looked identical to my dad was standing there. I was spying on him one night and saw what looked like a snake's tongue come out of his mouth. I later discovered he was a reptilian. A very short human who looked like a midget was helping him. I think he was a grey cloaked human. I heard them talk in English, but then started talking in alien lingo which sounded kind of far eastern. 
Yes, I am here to tell you they can cloak and simulate our world undercover. My real dad, the one I saw whisked away, was retired military, and I often suspected him of doing something or being involved with the government or doing something secretive that may have led to all this happening to me. I also found implants that feel like something under my skin. One was an upside-down triangle or diamond shape. They also stabbed me and then heated me with their eyes, which left a very weird scar on my leg. I never told anyone as I was so scared of how these entities seemed to be able to operate with impunity and like nothing could stop them. They also conducted very horrible activities and what seemed like mental brainwashing experiments on me. After all these years, I'm still scared to this day, but I believe it was time to come forward. I just wonder what happened to my real dad. My family and I had decided to take a trip to New Orleans, the city of jazz, voodoo, and legends. We checked into an old, historic hotel in the heart of the city, excited to experience the unique atmosphere that surrounded us. One night, after a day of exploring the city, my dad and I settled into bed, the room enveloped in darkness. The only light seeping in was from the lamp posts outside, casting eerie, dancing shadows on the walls. My dad was already sound asleep, his steady breathing a comforting presence in the room. I lay facing his back, my thoughts meandering through the events of the day. Restless, I rolled over to face the other side of the room. That's when I saw a shadowy figure of a man wearing a hat and a long coat, clutching a briefcase. I strained my eyes, but his face remained indiscernible, as if he were an outline or a shadow rather than a physical presence. He just stood there, still and silent, an eerie sentinel in the dark. Panic surged through me, and I wondered if I was experiencing sleep paralysis. But as I shifted my body, blinked my eyes, I realized I could still move. My heart raced, my mind grasping for an explanation. Was it a trick of the light, a figment of my imagination? The figure remained, an unwelcome intruder in the room. I never experienced anything like that again, but the memory of that night in New Orleans has lingered, a chilling reminder of the unknown. I've shared my story, curious to know if others have encountered something similar. What was it that I saw that night, a specter from the past or just a figment of my imagination? The answer remains shrouded in mystery. call came in on a sweltering Texas afternoon, the kind that makes the air feel heavy and the horizon shimmer with heat. I was sitting at my desk at the local police station, my boots propped up as I sipped on a lukewarm cup of coffee. The voice on the other end was tense, hurried, and it sent a shiver down my spine. It was a call I had never expected, a call that would thrust me into the heart of an enigma that defied all explanation. Some of our park rangers are dead. Something. Something unknown took him out, the voice on the other end said, a tremor of fear in his words. We need your expertise, Sheriff. We need you out here in the National Forest. I knew that this was no ordinary case. With a heavy sigh, I put down my coffee and stared out the window at the blazing sun. I was a police officer, born and raised in the vast expanses of Texas, 
but nothing could have prepared me for what lay ahead. I agreed to head out to the National Park, where the unforgiving terrain held secrets I couldn't even begin to fathom. When I arrived at the National Park, I was met with a somber group of officers, their expressions a mix of anxiety and determination. We were issued stun guns, a peculiar choice for a law enforcement operation. The Forest Service Administration had given us a clear mandate capture, not kill. There was something out there, something that might be a new species of cryptid, and they wanted to be the first to have one detained. The gravity of the situation settled over us as we ventured into the dense forest, our footsteps muffled by the layers of leaves and underbrush. With every step, the feeling of being watched intensified, and the shadows seemed to stretch and twist in unnatural ways. I exchanged glances with the other officers, a silent understanding passing between us. We were venturing into the unknown, and none of us knew what awaited us. Hours turned into a day that felt endless, the tension mounting as the forest seemed to close in around us. And then, as the sun dipped below the horizon and the world was bathed in the eerie glow of twilight, we found ourselves standing before a clearing. In the center stood a figure, one that was both familiar and utterly alien. The creature was massive, its form stretched upward on two hind legs. Its arms were impossibly long, reaching the ground like a gorilla, but its spine was crooked, contorting its entire frame. Moonlight danced on its gray skin, and its eyes shone like twin orbs of light in the darkness. Its face was grotesque, a deformed mask that held no semblance of humanity. The officers around me raised their stun guns, and the air was filled with the crackling of electricity as we fired in unison. But the creature moved with unnatural speed, a blur of motion as it tackled officers to the ground. Panic surged through me as I fired my stun gun, the darts embedding in the creature's flesh. And then, almost miraculously, the creature fell to the ground, stunned by the sheer number of darts. We approached it cautiously, our breaths heavy in the still night air. Just as we began to bind its limbs, the forest erupted with movement, and a group of figures emerged from the shadows. They wore black, their faces obscured by masks, and their presence sent a chill down my spine. CIA operatives, no doubt about it. Step away, one of them commanded, their tone cold and commanding. This is a matter of national security. As we moved back, they pulled out a black cadaver bag, a chilling indication of their intentions. They ordered us to leave, to be silent, their threats laced with an air of finality. The weight of their words hung in the air as we retreated, the forest swallowing us whole once more. I couldn't shake the feeling that we had stumbled onto something beyond our understanding, something that was meant to remain hidden. As I drove away from the National Park, I couldn't help but glance back, my mind swirling with questions and a sense of unease that would linger long after this encounter. My grandma told me this story about chanks. Her mom, my great-grandmother, and her brother used to go to the river to do the laundry. She used to leave the boy on a hammock while she was busy. One day, the boy began to walk into the sugar cane plantations that were next to the river. When his mom realized and dragged him out, he was saying that some kids were offering him papaya. 
She told him that they were alone there and there was no one else nearby. She put him on the hammock and continued doing the laundry, but the boy kept going into the cane plantation. This situation repeated many times, but the last time she realized the boy wasn't there, she ran into the plantation and found him. She scolded him, and he was swearing again that some kids were offering him papaya. When she looked up, she could see the canes moving like if three people running between them. She got scared and the left suddenly. Days after talking with other people, they told her that those kids could have been chanks that were trying to steal her kid. So she never brought him back to the river some days when she was there alone, someone would throw her pebbles while she was distracted. I was sleeping in my studio and suddenly darted awake, fully alert, almost instinctual. A deep sense of dread and anxiety came over me as soon as I awoke, and a feeling of a presence was in my kitchen twenty feet away. It was a completely new and isolated experience. This has never happened to me. I mean, I shot up awake and felt deep dread like a draining presence. It was like a totally different sense was activated, honestly chilling. It wasn't from a nightmare. I didn't see or hear anything. I don't have depression or anxiety, nothing that would rationalize this experience. So anyways, I'm looking at the kitchen and sensing something and feeling a level of dread and anxiety I have never ever felt in my life. So I call my dog on the bed and hug him and try to block it out. I ask him to please protect me, be my guardian, and I buried my head into him just wanting this to pass. Nothing has happened since. Until, several months later, my best friend dog sits for me, lives in my studio for a week. Fast forward another couple months, and she hears my original story for the first time. She tells me while she dog sat, she had that same experience. A sudden wake up on high alert and scared, anxious, and feeling something in the kitchen. I thought that was really trippy and profound, and confirms I wasn't crazy. What was it? What did it want? Did it wake me, or did my own senses protect me? Did something else protect me? It's so interesting, and I wonder if any other have had stories similar to this. By the way, my dog was chillin', thank God. I would have been even more freaked out if he sensed the presence. From my early childhood through my late teens, I lived with a trio of shadowy figures that trailed me like spectral companions. Three ethereal entities, each with its own distinct form and presence, and each tied to a specific location or time of day. The first was a woman shrouded in a cape. She was the night visitor, materializing only when I was asleep. She would stand at the foot of my bed, silent and still. Her presence was unnerving, but she never did anything more than stand there, watching me from the shadows. The sight of her was a nocturnal constant, a ghostly figure looming in the darkness of my room. The second was a childlike figure that haunted our backyard, always hiding behind the starfruit tree. This one only appeared while I was cooking in our kitchen late at night. I would glance out the window and see it there, standing still and staring at me. It was a creepy sight, a small figure illuminated by the faint moonlight, always watching, never moving. The last one was the most bizarre a man without a torso, 
who seemed to hover around as if gravity didn't apply to him. He wasn't bound by the rules of the other two. He would follow me in broad daylight, appearing suddenly in the most unexpected places. He was a constant reminder of this spectral trio's presence, a haunting figure that seemed to linger in my peripheral vision, no matter where I was or what time of day it was. These three figures were my constant companions for many years, a trinity of shadows that seemed inextricably tied to my existence. Their presence was unsettling, yet over the years, I came to accept them as a part of my life. Their motives, their origins, their true nature all remain a mystery to me. But they were a part of my world, a spectral triad that shadowed my every step from childhood to adulthood. Back in college, I entered a tournament as a combler on Rodman Reservoir in Ocala National Forest. Boater told me to meet him at the lake at 5 a.m. I hit the road around 3.30 a.m., should put me there about 15 minutes early. I'm driving through Ocala National Forest, and the fog this particulate morning is thick. I'm probably driving 30 in a 55 due to the limited visibility. I come around a corner and all of the sudden, I see the whitest lady I've ever seen in my life walking towards me in the lane. Clearly just substance abuse going on, but could easily pass for a zombie ghost. I pull into the oncoming traffic lane and hit my brakes to miss her. I come to a stop about 15 feet past her and watch her turn around like a zombie and start walking towards my truck. I went ahead and got out of there. Since then I've had a similar thing happen in almost the same area with a regular looking guy that appeared to have a bit too much to drink. Another time, guy just crossing the road around midnight, no vehicles around. I've got several buddies that have similar stories of people walking in the oncoming lanes seemingly in the middle of nowhere out in the Ocala National Forest, and they had to swerve to miss them. Weird thing is it always seems to happen 5-10 miles from the closest building that shows up on the map, and these aren't hikers. No clue what these people are doing out there. It all started on a quiet summer night in Wisconsin. I was visiting a friend's cabin deep in the woods, away from the hustle and bustle of city life. It was a perfect escape, or so I thought. We were sitting around the campfire, swapping stories and laughing, when suddenly I felt a strange sensation. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it was as if we were being watched. I scanned the dark forest around us, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. Later that night, as I was walking back to the cabin from the outhouse, I caught a glimpse of something that sent a shiver down my spine. Red glowing eyes stared at me from the darkness, watching my every move. I couldn't see the creature's body, but the intensity of its gaze was enough to make me hurry back to the safety of the cabin. I didn't mention the encounter to my friends, not wanting to scare them or be labeled as a paranoid city slicker but the image of those red eyes haunted me for the remainder of the trip. A few years later, I found myself in Pennsylvania on a camping trip with some buddies. We had chosen a remote location, surrounded by dense woods and miles from the nearest town. Once again, I felt that familiar sense of being watched, and my mind drifted back to that night in Wisconsin. As the sun dipped below the horizon, we huddled around the campfire, 
its warm glow providing some comfort against the encroaching darkness. We chatted and roasted marshmallows, trying to ignore the eerie stillness of the woods around us. When nature called, I hesitated, remembering my previous encounter. But eventually, I couldn't put it off any longer. As I ventured away from the campsite, I couldn't shake the feeling of being followed. And then, it happened again. Those same red glowing eyes appeared in the darkness, watching me intently. I stood there, frozen in fear, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature remained hidden, its body obscured by the shadows. But something told me it was a dogman, a legendary creature said to roam the woods of the Midwest and the East Coast. If I had seen its body, I'm sure I would be even more terrified than I already was. I hurried back to the campsite, my mind racing with thoughts of the mysterious creature. I shared my encounter with my friends this time, and we decided to pack up and leave first thing in the morning. To this day, I can't help but wonder what might have happened if I'd seen the full form of the creature with the red glowing eyes. Would I be more heavily affected by the encounters, unable to enjoy the serenity of the woods? Or would I have come face to face with a legend, forever changing my perception of the unknown? All I know for sure is that those two encounters have left me with a deep respect for the mysteries that still linger in the wilderness, a reminder that we may never fully understand the secrets that lie hidden in the shadows. In a world where the truth is meticulously controlled by the government, every record, every piece of history is carefully curated to fit a specific narrative. As a government archivist, my days were filled with sifting through documents, ensuring that the official history remained untarnished. My name is Eva, and I was a cog in this intricate machine of manipulation, until the day I stumbled upon a cache of classified government files that shattered everything I thought I knew. It was an ordinary day or so it seemed as I delved into a pile of documents marked with a level of classification that sent a shiver down my spine. I expected the usual mundane reports but what I found was beyond comprehension. The files contained evidence of over 5,000 cryptids that had been encountered since 2023. Creatures that defied explanation, lurking in the shadows of our carefully constructed reality. As I read through the reports, my heart raced with a mixture of excitement and fear. These documents had the power to rewrite history, to expose the hidden truths that the government had been suppressing for years. The existence of these cryptids challenged everything I had been taught to believe, and I knew that the world deserved to know the truth. My decision was made in an instant. I had to expose this revelation to the public. But I was not alone in my discovery. As I meticulously gathered evidence and pieced together the puzzle, I could feel the eyes of powerful forces upon me. A brilliant but enigmatic CIA operative named Donovan and a stern army general named Harrington began pursuing me relentlessly. The chase was on, and I found myself in a deadly game of cat and mouse. Donovan's intellect was matched only by his resourcefulness, and he seemed to anticipate my every move. General Harrington, on the other hand, was a force of military precision, using his influence to cut off my escape routes and corner me at every turn. With each step I took to expose the truth, the danger escalated. Donovan and Harrington were not just trying to silence me. 
They were trying to control the narrative, to maintain the government's iron grip on information. The more I uncovered, the clearer it became that the cryptids were not just anomalies, they possessed powers beyond our understanding. Powers that could tip the balance of power in unimaginable ways. As the pursuit intensified, I found myself torn between my duty to reveal the truth and the overwhelming fear of the consequences. Were these cryptids truly the key to a new era of enlightenment, or were they harbingers of chaos? The more I learned, the less certain I became. Unfortunately, I failed. Once they caught me, they told me that they'll not only kill me, but all my family if I continue to leak the forbidden information. I had to comply. At least for now. I was on a weekend canoeing trip for rest and relaxation in a remote area of Rough River State Park, Kentucky. The date was June 24, 2003. Strangely, I felt queasy and anxious for some unknown reason, as if I had something to fear. Heeding these sensations, I was extremely cautious on the river. After several miles, I paddled the canoe to the riverbank and tied it off to a tree. I got out to explore the area. Looking eight, ten feet downstream, I spotted what looked like the top of a gray clay jar peeking out of the water. My first thoughts were that I might have found a native people's artifact. I started down the bank toward the creek, which was extremely slippery with mud. I stopped just short of the water and very close to the old earthenware pot. It was more like a clay crock, and I soon realized that it probably wasn't very old. I poked at it and noticed there were small handprints on it. I thought they could have been raccoon prints, but they were more like little human handprints about an inch wide. I tried to pry the thing loose using a stick, but suddenly heard a noise. I heard what sounded like children laughing in the distance. The sound was coming from downstream. When I managed to pull the crock jar out of the mud, something let out a scream. It sounded like a little girl, very high-pitched and loud. Not knowing what to do, I grabbed the jar and began to scramble up the muddy bank. Glancing back, I thought I saw something move along the creek. I stopped and sat at the top of the bank for a moment, looking at the jar, trying to comprehend the handprints. After a few minutes, I laid the crock down, got up, and walked along the creek, stopping every once in a while to peek through the bushes to see if anybody was there. At one point, I looked over the bank and noticed two little people standing about one foot tall. They had pale skins, little brown leather pants held up by suspenders, no shirts, and little pointy hats made of what looked like leather. They had leather foot coverings that went up past the ankle. Their hair was reddish in color and their eyes blue. Their hands were only about an inch wide. They knew I was watching, but they continued their task of pulling some kind of wooden stump down the muddy creek bank with long leather ropes or strings. These little men were surprisingly clean for the work they were doing. I then heard a thump back where I first had gone in the creek. I looked back and there were three more of the little men, exactly like the first two. They had pushed the crock jar back down the bank. They were all laughing, high-pitched laughter, like a bunch of kids. I then heard a loud snap, and they were all gone. Their footprints were plainly visible in the mud, but they were gone, along with the crock jar and the wooden stump. 
they had vanished in a split second. I walked around in an attempt to pick up a trail, but to no avail. I continued my trip with no other incidents.